As always, it's so good to be with you, and I hope you've had a wonderful week. This weather's nice, isn't it? Oh, man, I tell you. And uh, really accommodated our picnic. We had a tremendous number of people show up. Uh, you know, let's face it, St. Albert's a community people. We love to be together, and so any kind of opportunity to gather together, and we had to cut back on that with, due to COVID, but it's, uh, it truly is a wonderful thing. And then happy Father's Day. We've got a lot of fathers in here today, and uh, we always, always are happy about that. Many good things. Today's a very special day in the life of the church as we celebrate the feast of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really important. And uh, all three of the readings really focus on that, which uh, should, and it's also a special day in the sense that the uh, Eucharistic Congress that's going to be held three years from this weekend uh, is about to take place, and this is the, the kickoff of that, which seems to be a very appropriate thing. So the emphasis is going to be this coming year, this next 12 months, will be on revival of the Eucharist, and every year we'll have a theme leading up to it. And what's really amazing is this is an international congress. Um, it's going to be in Indianapolis. I mean, that's amazing. That's unreal. Because it's all over the world. They, they expect about 80,000 people there for it. So uh, we got that to look forward to in, in three years. Well, uh, so many good things to say today about the, about the Lord's Supper, about the Holy Eucharist. Uh, we see that in all three of the readings. But I really want to focus on the second reading today. And you did a great job reading that. And um, I really appreciate that. See, Paul was a writer. Now, you've got to remember about Paul. This was before they had cars and uh, jets and, you know, Internet and all that kind of stuff. It was all about walking or a horse, if you had one, and uh, writing kind of thing on scroll and, and then sending it out by snail mail, as we call it today. But uh, Paul, would, what he would do, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, and he would, he would do what's called missionary journeys, and he did several of them. And what he would do, he would go sort of make a loop based upon where the Holy Spirit was leading him, and he would, he would stop in a city, he'd share Jesus. Always there would be somebody, there would be several actually, that would receive Jesus and the church. There's a church born there. And he establishes the church, and then the church continues to grow, and then he goes on to the next city. And then after a while, he'll make another loop. And a lot of times, he'll stop at those parishes because now they've had a chance to grow, and, and uh, he wants to nurture them along the way. Now, you know, something you have to remember, particularly in light of the teaching of today, is that uh, the church was fledgling at this point. I mean, we've been here for 2,000 years. It's, you know... But uh, for them, they, they were brand new. Christians were brand new. That was a new thing. Uh, churches was brand All of this was brand new. And uh, it was in the process of being spread throughout the entire known world. That's what was taking place at that time. So uh, because Paul couldn't be in all places at once, and what he had to do was he would write letters. And, and here's sort of how it works. Um, Wherever he was, some of, the, some of the disciples from a certain parish 
would uh, church, they would come and they would talk to Paul about, here's what's going on in the church at Galatia. Or here's what's going on in the church, as we see today, at Corinth. You know, all of these different kinds of uh, situations. Did you know they still do that? I mean, that, that's mind-boggling to me. But uh, every so often, the bishops elect someone and they go to Rome and they report on the church, to the, to the Holy Father. They still do that today. I just think that's amazing. And, uh, you know, it, it truly is a very interesting kind of concept. And then Paul would respond. Now, Paul's letters, uh, the, the format of his letters is not the same for every letter. Uh, there's some differences, but there's a lot of similarities as well. But sometimes, based upon the need, all Paul may do would be to just write a letter of encouragement to say, hang in there. You know, I'm praying for you. One of the, one of the most beautiful letters in that situation was the letter to the church at Philippi, the letter of the Philippians. Paul loved that church, and uh, it was a poverty-stricken church, and he went through a lot of challenges as a result of that. But, uh, you know, he found that in uh, poverty, people found Jesus. They clung to Jesus a lot more. You know, when you, when you, don't, when you don't have as much as you think you have, uh, it, you'll do that. You'll cling more to Jesus. And uh, that's what this church did. But he loved that church. And you can see that all throughout his writings, the way he penned the letters. Then, uh, then there were those where he would say, okay, here's the situation. Here's what I've heard. And here's what you need to do about it. Remember this as we go into this. Everything Paul does is for love. Paul loved the church. Paul, uh, he was martyred for the church. He gave his life, literally. He loved Jesus. He loves, he, and if he were here today, he'd be loving you just as much. I mean, that's Paul. And so what Paul had to do is as problems and situations would come up, arise, he'd have to deal with them and, and instruct them and to say, okay, I know you're, I know you're new at this. I know you're a new Christian, but here's the way you need to think. See, he was forming them in the faith. Uh, probably a couple of the most noted letters was the one to the churches at Galatia. They were dealing with the issue of this. Well, do you have to, be, you have to become a Jew and adopt the customs of the Jew before you can become a Christian? This was a big issue, not to us today, but back then, it was, a, it was a massive issue. I mean, it was a major issue. So he was constantly dealing with that with certain churches. And then we find the church at Corinth. Uh, Galatia, letter to the Galatians is sort of like a region. There was a region of churches that called a, play, a region called Galatia. But here it's to a city, a, a, a very sizable city. Uh, it's a Greek city. And it's the city called Corinth. The city called Corinth. Uh, Corinth, the Corinthians had particular challenges that we don't see him addressing so much in the other letters. And why is that? Well, if you study it, what you begin to realize is that it was heavily, heavily Greek-oriented, Greek culture. And as a result of that, well, things were sort of lax, you might call, might call it. It's, uh, it was a place where everything goes. You know, you hear that phrase, well, everything goes. Well... That sort of says it, you know, the uh, sophisticated, Greek-wise, intellectual culture. And um, so Paul had to deal with that. There were, there were things going on that 
were not good for, the, for a fledgling Christian. They, they just were not good. But he always did it in love. Let me give you an example. Let me give you a couple of examples. He has to deal with a situation where a man was living with his father's wife and was part of the church. That was one of the issues he had to deal with. Uh, and when he heard about it, he said, wait, you can't do that. No, that's not, that's not Christian. That's not Christian-like to do that. And so Paul being practical, he's always practical. I mean, he's not just going to raise the issue and not talk to you about what to do about it. He says, well, approach that person with reason. Be sensible about it. You know, we're sensible people. And if they turn, if they make amends, then that's great. If they don't, expel them from the church. I mean, that's what he said. Now, that's pretty tough, isn't it? But why would he do that? Was it, was it to, to uh, seek revenge or judgment? No. It was love. Well, how was it love? Well, the intent was that if you're separated from the church, and the church really means a whole lot to you, you know, you're, you really get a lot out of church, then uh, you'll repent. You'll come to your senses again, and you'll repent, and you'll turn, and you'll be received back into the life of the church. But you see how he does that? Everything is redemptory, everything that he does. Even though sometimes we scratch our heads and say, well, how's that? No, it's always about redemption, always. It's just that Paul had a tremendous understanding of situations. So that was one of the issues that was causing a big stir in the church at Corinth. Another one was this. It had to do, once again, with the Greek culture. The, uh, there were people in the church who were participating in pagan rituals. There were tons of pagan rituals in Corinth. And uh, so what they would do is they would gather together with their friends. They'd sacrifice something to a, a false god kind of thing, and then they'd eat it. Well, Paul says, wait. You can't do that. That's not good. That's not good for you. That's not good for you at all. Uh, listen to what he says about that. This is in chapter 10. The reading today is in chapter 11, but we're going to get to 11. But here's 10. He says this, Therefore, my beloved, there you go, see, there's that sense of love. My beloved, uh, avoid idolatry. Now, I am speaking as to sensible people. There you go. Reasoning with sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying, he says. Then he goes into the Eucharist. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now, there's one thing about Paul that's totally clear. There's no uh, confusion about it with him. With Paul, Paul realized, he recognized that this was the real presence of Jesus. It wasn't bread. It wasn't a symbol, you know, wine. No, it was the real thing. When it's consecrated, it becomes Jesus. And so, uh, to you know, otherwise, why would he make such a big deal out of these, uh, about the elements that he's talking about? Because it's Jesus. You know, it's Jesus. That's why. Uh, he, he goes on to say, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and also the cup of demons. 
You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So what's he saying? He's saying, church, the Eucharist is spiritual food. Jesus is real, you know. He's, he's, he's as real as real gets. And what you need to do, he says, you need to pull yourself away from those other rituals and other practices. It's bad for you, and it's also bad as a testimony for the church. So uh, he, he, really, he really gets into that very, very well and very thoroughly. But participate in the Lord's Supper. That's what's priority. And then he goes on in chapter 11 to deal with another issue. And uh, let, me read the, let me read the scripture out of it. I'm going to read the parts you read, but I'm going to read the whole story. This, this is one of those stories where you don't, if you don't read a little more, you don't get the context. The context. You know, context is really important in understanding why somebody's saying what they're saying at a particular point in time. Listen, see if you don't pick up on that. When you meet in one place, then it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own supper, and, and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. Do you not have houses in which you can eat and drink? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and make those who have nothing feel ashamed? What can I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this matter, I do not praise you. And here's the reading. What I received from the Lord, so here he's, he's establishing the authority of the Eucharist, what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, the cup, after saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There's no gray area with Paul about the reality of the living presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. No, there, there's not. Uh, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, you know, if it were wine and, and bread, well, maybe, but this is the real thing. If you do it unworthily, he says, you'll have to answer for the body and the blood of the Lord. A person, he goes on to say, should examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why, he says, many among you are ill and infirmed, and a considerable number of you are even dying. If we discerned ourselves, he says, we would not come under judgment. But since we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined for the purpose that we may not be condemned along with all the world. Well, that sort of puts that reading in a different light, doesn't it? Makes it sound a little different. Well, what's he trying to do? Well, he's trying to teach this fledgling church about the Eucharist, the importance of the Eucharist, the holiness of the Eucharist, you might want to call it. Uh, that's exactly what he's doing. Well, what was the problem? What was the problem? What's he dealing with? Well, if you study it, you can pick it out 
it just sort of stands out at you. But there's two things that were going on in the situation. One is, you know, you remember, this, this was the Eucharist, when it first started out, it was called the Love Feast. That's what it was called. Sounds like something out of the 60s, doesn't it? Uh, it was called the Love Feast, but you made it in homes or caves. You didn't have churches like this. You'd have a meal, and then you'd celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's, you know, that's the way you'd do it. Uh, it's changed a lot. In, it's in our time, but uh, that's how you did it. Well, what was happening is there were people that, who were Christians in Corinth who were showing up with lots of food, and they were eating. You know, eating to the point of gluttony and drunkenness, he said. And then he, and then he goes on to say, and yet the, the poor among you in the church, they come with little to nothing, and you just let them watch you eat. Well, where's Jesus in that? You know, where's Jesus in that? You're, you're, you know, he says you're trying to set yourself up to be something. Some, it, it almost sounds like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's what Jesus would say to them. Uh, you know, but the poor, hey, you just watch and you be jealous kind of thing. Paul said, no. Does that sound like Jesus? Would Jesus do that? You know, when he, when he gave the fish and the loaves in today's gospel reading, do you think he said, well, you're rich, you get more. Or you're poor, you don't get any. Now, what did he do? Just take, just dip in the basket. Just dip in the basket. See, that's the, that's the beautiful thing. See, for Christians, and Paul's trying to bring this point home, Christians, here's the leveling ground of the Christian. It's not what car you drive. It's not how educated you are. It's not how rich. Those things matter nothing. It's all about Jesus. And that's the beauty of it because now everybody can come to Jesus. See, you don't have to be, you don't have to have certain criteria of wealth or position or power, all those kinds of things. He says, don't do that. He said, and, and so now he's going to give you a piece of practical advice. You know what he's going to say? Did you pick it out? He says, if you're hungry, eat before you come to church. That's what he said. That's what he said. He said, if you're hungry, eat. Because that's physical need. Okay? But when you come here, it's spiritual need. This is spiritual food. This isn't physical food. You know, that's sort of like we did last night. We had our spiritual food, then we went out to the picnic. You know, had some fried fish. You know, that was our physical food. But here it's spiritual food. And Paul's saying... Just eat at home if you want to do that. And uh, then the other, the other thing he says, and I think this, if you really study it, this really gets to the whole crux of the matter. This is what really was bothering Paul. And it was this. The people, the people of God, the children of God, were not sharing with each other. They were not sharing with each other. Instead, they brought their own, and then they let the others just sort of watch them eat. And they didn't share when it was time to receive the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. He, that makes no sense. He says, church, don't do that. See, we all need to grow in our faith. I grow in my faith every day. There's always something new that I learned. I've been at it for 60-some years. You too. You know, that's part, of the, that's part of the admonition of the church. And he gives them a couple pieces of advice. The first thing he says is, remember this. When it comes to the Lord's table, 
it is a spiritual banquet. Remember, it's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual banquet. It is the real presence of Jesus, and he's feeding your soul is what he's doing. And we are to share with each other. I always love it when we bring the gifts up. There's not, it's one of the exciting times for me during the Mass because every time I give thanks to you because you buy the gifts, don't you? Somebody had to buy the bread. Somebody had to buy the wine. And I always think of you, and I say, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your stewardship. So, so you're not bringing it just for you. You're bringing it for everybody so that we can all share at the Lord's table. The next thing he says is examine your conscience before receiving. Well, they needed to examine their conscience because they were being stingy. And Paul says, when you do that, you're heaping judgment on yourself. So you're making a mockery of what Jesus would do. Isn't that what he said? That's exactly. See, examining your conscience is a really good Catholic word. We do that particularly when we think about the sacrament of reconciliation. But we're to examine our conscience before we ever approach this table. That's what we do to make sure there's nothing in the way that imparts with that. This is, this is holy because it's Jesus, and we need to examine our conscience. And then the final thing is he reminds them to receive the body and blood of Christ in an unworthy manner. It causes the Lord to discipline you. Yes, he said that, didn't he? He said some of you are sick, some of you are dying because you received the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, he said it, I didn't say it, but uh, that's what he said. And I think there's really something for us. Why, where's the love in that? Well, he tells you where the love is. He says, if we are not disciplined, we will be condemned with the rest of the world on the day of judgment. Which is more important? Discipline, learn, or be judged and be separated from God forever. Which one do you want? I think I know which one I want. I don't have no, no doubts about that. Well, I probably talk too much. But uh, I love you all. As you approach the Eucharist today, really approach it with a spirit of love and holiness and devotion. Because the God, the God of love, he eagerly desires to share himself with you. God bless all of you.